Hey, thanks for joining us for our podcast. In this episode, we're going to cover the controversial results from the Women's Health Initiative. Yes, I know, that was back in 2002, but that study is still wrecking havoc on postmenopausal women even today. In this episode, we're going to clear up the confusing outcomes that were first published from that original trial and what we now know from that original data that was actually, well, misinterpreted. We'll also end the podcast with a quick review of the latest statement from the North American Menopause Society, or NAMS, on hormone replacement therapy. The idea for this episode came from one of our podcast listeners and one of our Facebook friends. So Katie, from Iowa, I hope this helps you prepare for your oral boards and helps you tackle the crazy data from the Women's Health Initiative now over a decade after its first publication. So Katie, thanks for listening and let's get started now. Although not a disease, menopause is associated with significant quality-of-life impactful symptoms like hot flashes and vaginal atrophy. Anywhere from 60 to 70%, based on who you read, of postmenopausal women will have hypothalamically mediated vasomotor instability, causing hot flashes, sweating, and palpitations. Other common presenting symptoms include irregular menstrual cycles, urogenital symptoms, vaginal dryness or soreness, superficial dyspareunia, urinary frequency with some urgency, and even mood changes, insomnia, depression, and anxiety. Menopause, of course, has also been linked to an increased risk of osteoporosis and coronary artery disease. Now, speaking of osteoporosis, estrogen is the only FDA-approved therapy for osteoporosis prevention and, of course, is an excellent treatment for established osteoporosis. We'll cover coronary artery disease a little bit later in this session. But not all women can tolerate hormone replacement therapy, and a significant amount of women are scared about starting hormone therapy because what they may have heard on media. Now we'll get into this issue with the Women's Health Initiative in just a moment. Some of the most well-known contraindications to hormone therapy include a history of breast cancer, a history of endometrial cancer, severe active liver disease, hypertriglyceridemia, thromboembolic disorders, and undiagnosed vaginal bleeding. Now a quick word about the basic evaluation of the perimenopause woman who presents with hot flashes and vasomotor type symptoms. It's important to rule out other endocrine pathologies that may be mimicking perimenopausal symptoms, chief of which is thyroid dysfunction. Remember that hypothyroidism also increasing in incidence with advancing age, so a TSH should be checked if one has not been checked previously in the prior two or three years. Also, hyperthyroidism has been associated with accelerated bone loss, and that's also an independent risk for osteoporosis fracture. So, not only does it help rule out other causes of hot flashes, but it can also be part of health maintenance for bone health at the same time. All right, now that we've laid that foundation, let's get into the Women's Health Initiative and hormone replacement therapy next. 
Hormone replacement therapy was first available in the 1940s, but became more widely used in the 1960s, creating a revolution in the management of menopause. HRT was prescribed commonly to menopausal women for the relief of their symptoms like hot flashes, night sweats, sleep disturbances, and of course, vaginal dryness. It was also given for the prevention of osteoporosis. Originally, treatment was initiated around the time of menopause, and women were kept on it indefinitely. Now, for at least two decades before the Women's Health Initiative, data from large observational trials had suggested that hormone therapy resulted in a reduction in coronary heart disease and mortality. Now, because of inherent biases in the design of observational data, it was necessary to carry out a prospective, randomized trial to confirm these findings. The Women's Health Initiative was designed to evaluate the long-term benefits and risks of postmenopausal hormone therapy with the understanding that women would be taking estrogen long-term for the prevention of heart disease, not for the treatment of symptoms. However, most women in the U.S. initiate hormone therapy for the treatment of symptoms, not for the prevention of osteoporosis or heart disease. Now, the media attention surrounding the publication of the initial results of WHI in 2002 led to fear and confusion regarding the use of hormone therapy after menopause. Although considered to be a primary prevention trial, the WHI did not study primary prevention in that most women were largely asymptomatic and were many years past menopause. Women up to the age of 79 years were included, and the average age of the participants was 63, which on average is about 12 years after menopause. All right, so that's the first clinical pearl for WHI data interpretation. These were older women. This age group that participated in WHI contrasts sharply with the age of the observational cohorts that had provided the beneficial data on cardiovascular disease and mortality before WHI. These women in the earlier observational trials were younger, were closer to menopause, and had received hormone therapy for symptoms of menopause, not for prevention. All right, so remember that type of patient cohort when we get into this data that we're going to cover. This is older menopausal women who were about 12 years after menopausal symptoms would have begun. By the time WHI was underway, several secondary prevention trials that included women with known coronary disease who were prescribed hormone therapy, some of these trials looked at hard endpoints of myocardial infarction and death as well as some angiographic trials, and these studies had shown that there was no coronary benefit with hormone therapy at standard doses. In some studies, early harm occurred, defined as more coronary events in the first one to two years when compared to placebo. In 2002, the estrogen plus progestin trial of the Women's Health Initiative was terminated after five and a half years, having found no coronary benefit and rate of breast cancer that crossed a preset boundary. Now, don't worry. I know that sounds scary. We're going to explain all of that in just a few moments. Okay, so here's where problems begin. The well-orchestrated release of information to the media in the summer of 2002 was problematic on several fronts. 
principal investigators of WHI did not have an opportunity to review that data, which was not completely adjudicated, with the results being rushed to publication and disseminated to the media without first analyzing and taking care of some of the variables. Here, the statements were dogmatic, and there was no explanation of the differences between relative risk and absolute or attributable risk. Relative risk describes the degree of change in the risk over the baseline rate, whereas the absolute risk provides the actual number of cases that would be increased or decreased in a given population. Even if the relative risks were statistically valid, some of which changed with time, the absolute risks were small, but that that never made it to the media making these events actually quite rare according to the definition of the World Health Organization interpretation of data. So it was emphatically stated that the adverse effects of estrogen plus progestin apply to all women irrespective of age, ethnicity, or disease status. This was a nightmare. By 2007, with subsequent release of data, various media reports appeared, which was typified by the following statement in the Wall Street Journal. Some aspects of what had been previously reported were misleading or just wrong. Women in their 50s actually had a 30% lower risk of dying. So from 2002, when we get the early data first released, and then in 2007, we basically have a retraction of some of that interpretation. All right, so what happened that led to that retraction in 2007? Well, in 2006, data emerged from a subset of younger women in the WHI that did not show an increased risk, but showed a strong tend to decreased risk that was more consistent with data from the older observational trials. For estrogen alone therapy, a composite coronary score was significantly decreased in the women that were aged 50 to 59 years. These women also had decreased coronary calcium scores. Now, in a combined analysis of younger women in WHI on estrogen alone, and estrogen and progesterone, total mortality actually was decreased. Okay, let's shake some of that off because that was a lot of information. Look, we're going to examine the WHI data more critically in just a moment. But let's not forget what the original impact of that first release in 2002, what that impact looked like. It's been well documented that since the initial publication of WHI in 2002, hormonal use has decreased substantially, robbing many women appropriate for HRT of beneficial therapy. In 2011, a consensus statement by the International Menopause Society regarding hormone therapy stated that the excessive conservatism engendered by the presentation to the media of the first results of WHI in 2002 has disadvantaged nearly a decade of women who may have missed the therapeutic window to reduce their future cardiovascular fracture, and even dementia risk. So we've kind of come full circle. Now we're going to talk about the NAMS statement from 2017 in part two. But let's not forget that from 2002 until 2011, we've basically done an about face because we now have the complete data and it's not what it looked like back in 2002. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, let's take a critical look at the WHI original data. The coronary findings in WHI for the estrogen and progestin trial were of borderline significance at a 1.24 ratio. However, the reported data, that's the point estimate of risk, varied over several publications. However, there was some evidence for early harm among the older women in the estrogen and progestin trial, as has been suggested earlier in the heart and estrogen progestin replacement study called the HERS study, but no increase was seen in younger women. Actually, the point estimates in the younger group showed a trend to benefit in women receiving estrogen and progestin that were less than 10 years from menopause with a hazard ratio of 0.89 while it was greater than 1 in the older age group. In the estrogen alone trial in hysterectomized women, there was clearly benefit in using a composite coronary score. In WHI and in recent case control studies, coronary calcium scores were significantly reduced in women who were on estrogen. A meta-analysis of women receiving hormone therapy who were under 60, including data from WHI, did confirm a statistically significant reduction in coronary disease. But remember, back in 2002, the media thought that the result of increased mortality and increased coronary events was the same for everybody, but that was not the case for younger women. So, what came out from that was what was called the timing hypothesis. The timing hypothesis suggests that younger, symptomatic women at the onset of menopause may be protected from coronary heart disease, whereas older women treated for the first time seem to have no benefit from hormone therapy and may have early harm. Okay, that was the cardiovascular data, but what about the breast cancer data? The major fear women have regarding hormone therapy is the potential of developing breast cancer. Well, in 2002, the major reason the estrogen and progestin trial was stopped was that a preset boundary for breast cancer had been crossed. Now, although point estimates for the risk with estrogen and progestin varied in several publications in the range of about 1.2 to 1.28, and was generally of borderline significance, the data was interpreted as being highly significant. In a follow-up publication of WHI Investigations in 2006, adjustment for risk factors showed a non-significant increase at a risk ratio of 1.2. Moreover, it was clear from this and other analysis of the original data that in women who had never received hormones in the past, the risk was not significant over 5.6 years of hormone therapy. The increased risk was primarily attributable to prior users who had a greater cumulative exposure to hormones. Also, the risk was not significantly increased in younger women. 
the risk with estrogen and progestin, however, does increase with time. But sensitivity analysis in adherent participants showed no increase in risk for at least seven years. But again, that was never brought up in the media. It was clear that although there is an associated risk with time, the risk with the estrogen and progestin regimen used in WHI is greater in older rather than younger women, and that risk does not increase for seven years in women who had never received hormones in the past. Now remember, this is only for conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate, which is what the Women's Health Initiative usually used. Now, although it is clear in the risk that estrogen and progestin is greater than that of using estrogen alone, the regimen may be of importance. Remember, that's conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate. Observational data from France have suggested that the risk is not increased with micronized progesterone. Also, in a large Denmark study, using estradiol and norethindronacetate was no increase in breast cancer risk up to 11 years of therapy and a 16-year follow-up period, although the number of women in that trial was actually not very large. So again, it has to do with the age of the patient, the length of use, and the type of agents used for hormone therapy. All right, so let's put this into clinical perspective as we wrap up part one of this episode. Putting the potential risk of breast cancer into proper perspective is extremely important in discussing hormone therapy with women. Although estrogen alone may decrease the risk, it probably does not increase the risk unless large dosages are used for a prolonged period of time in susceptible women with unknown occult Tumors. So that's a clinical pearl. It seems that hormone therapy doesn't cause breast cancer, but may make already existing breast cancers more known. With estrogen and progestin, young women initiating standard dose therapy for the first time at the onset of menopause do not have an increased risk of breast cancer for at least five years and probably up to seven years, although the risk does increase thereafter, at least for the regimen studied in WHI, again, conjugated equine estrogen and medroxyprogesterone acetate. Remember, as we've already stated before, other regimens and dosages may be even safer for the breast. So what is this magnitude of breast cancer risk in real terms? Well, although there is not a statistically significant increase over five years with estrogen and progestin in younger women who have never been on hormones, let's give an illustrative example next. For illustrative purposes, the absolute risk will be calculated assuming an overall increased risk over five years as originally reported by the WHI with a relative risk of 1.24. So, a 50-year-old woman may expect that her background or her endogenous risk of breast cancer will be 2.8% by age 60. That's just her by herself. The putative increased risk of breast cancer if she uses hormone therapy for five years would increase her risk from 2.8% to 3.37%, an absolute increased risk of 0.67%. This is 
is less than the risk that she would have if she was obese by being a flight attendant and having cosmic radiation exposure or by many other common exposures in the environment. So once again, one is put into a proper perspective for a 50-year-old woman and her overall risk of breast cancer by the age of 60, the use of hormone therapy for five years is actually a negligible increased absolute risk if you actually do the calculation correctly. Okay, that wraps up part one of our Women's Health Initiative Fear versus Reality episode. In part two, we're going to cover the NAMS statement from June of 2007 that basically puts all of this information in a few bullet points to reassure women that hormone therapy when used appropriately in younger women and for about five to seven years of age, ideally, the absolute risks are quite small. So hang in there and we're going to cover part two with the NAMS statement on hormone therapy coming up in the next episode. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls.